0: You're listening to Boss Tone Radio, Talk for Guitar, presented by BossUS.com. Hi, Paul Hansen here. Brandon Small is like no other guest I've ever had on the show. He's uh one-of-a-kind guy. He's a stand-up comedian. He creates TV shows and uh, his current one is called Metal Metalocalypse which is about this virtual animated band Death Clock. He co-writes the shows and he does some of the voices but the main thing is he's a really good guitar player and he does all the music for the shows too. I'll plug his website com. that's where you can get his albums and find out about all kinds of interesting stuff so without further ado let's get brendan on the phone brendan it's paul hansen from boss hey paul how's it going it's going great so awesome to talk to you
1: hey yeah well, I want to say this, first of all. Oh, go ahead. i uh, a long-time listener of this podcast. Wow. And uh, mm-hmm. first-time caller, I guess. But um, <laughs> I've been a fan for a while. I've been listening to it for uh, since I knew about it.
0: That's so cool. Hey, well, I discovered you. I was doing a project for Boss and Guitar World, and it was 2008, and your song Thunder Horse was featured in the song transcriptions. Right. Yeah, yeah, and and I was just really impressed with that song and the tongue in cheekness and, and everything. It was really interesting.
1: You know, we started the show somewhere around nine years ago. Uh-huh. Time has flown and, you know, the whole project has become its own thing and it's got its own world and its own music and its own guitars and its own everything. But um that song was kind of a, a beginning song for people knowing about the show and knowing about kind of how guitar-heavy the show was, too, because that song, a demo version of that song, was featured on a game.
0: Yeah, Guitar Hero 2.
1: Yeah, Guitar Hero 2. What happened was those guys were a fan of my other show, an old show from Adult Swim called Home Movies. Which I
0: know! I watched a few of those. What a hilarious show!
1: <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing I did when I got out of music school was I got straight into comedy. Yeah. And, um, and there, was, there was a guitar element in that show, too, but... Um, these guys were a fan of this show, and they said, hey, I heard you're doing a new heavy metal show, and we'd love to try to feature some music on this new game. We'd like to send you a demo version of it called uh-huh. guitar hero, and they sent me guitar hero one. I thought this is the coolest thing I've ever seen, uh-huh. because I think this is going to turn people on to guitar music. In order to, to know about guitar and why guitar is so cool, you sometimes have to have like an, a cooler older brother or like a cooler older sibling
0: or yeah, whatever absolutely. it is, yeah.
1: or a kid down the street that teaches you who Black Sabbath is, and who, yeah, you know, Skinner is, and like who...
0: Richie Blackmore, yeah.
1: And all that stuff. And uh-huh. in some cases, we're always looking for that cooler, older sibling or cooler kid down the street. And in this case, it was Game Guitar Hero.
0: Yeah, and I think that's when you got into Guitar World in the transcription. Yeah. Yeah, and I had to figure out what boss pedals guys could use to get your tone, and I think I researched that you used crank amps and, of course, Gibson guitars. Is that right, Ben? So I
1: did. Like, on the first record, I did. And I quickly switched to just, you know, Marshalls. Just, like, yeah. good old-fashioned Marshalls. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've said this before to other people. I've done guitar clinics and amp clinics and stuff like that. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: And by the way, I play a ton of different kinds of amps, from, uh, you know, Carvin to uh, Bogner. I really like a lot. But um,
0: Yeah, I saw... The documentary of making of Death Clock album, and I think I saw a Carvin Legacy in there. Yeah. And um, yeah, several Marshalls, JCM 800, maybe a Plexi.
1: I've got well, I've got a Plexi, and I and I have used it. I'll get some of those more broken sounds every once in a while. I get to I get every once in a while I have these wonderful opportunities to not play a fully distorted like guitar with. 200 gallons of distortion where i get to back off the gain and actually hear yeah. what the guitar sounds like which is most of what i do when i'm playing guitar by the way right i don't have that much distortion and and the more you listen to death clock as it evolves i keep pulling the distortion back just a little bit i keep lessening the gain i, I keep like uh i don't want my pickups to be that high output i want to hear the guitar i want to hear my fingers i want to hear
0: yeah.
1: sounds that my fingers in the wood mix so um yeah I keep lessening the gain and getting the medium output
0: pickups. Well, you, one thing I recommended, I, I wrote a little blog about your yeah. song, about your gear and what pedals you could use, and, but I totally was impressed by your your vibrato. And then you do these harmonies, you know, where, of course, the vibratos are perfectly synchronized. Oh, cool. Pretty wide vibrato, too. I, did you consciously practice vibrato?
1: yes. That's a great question, and yeah. I think that's that's a really important part, if not the most important part of having a personality on the guitar, or yeah. ripping off somebody else's personality on the guitar, which is also an important thing to do. Yeah. You know, um, to be able to do impressions of your favorite players is an important thing. Yeah, just like a comedian does impressions of you know different people, you have to kind of learn how to develop your voice. But on guitar, there are these big you know Michael Schenker style oh man vibratos. Yeah. The cool stuff that Richie Blackmore does.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: You know, his tone (laughs) arm sometimes. He's using his whammy bar. Yeah. You know.
0: But his finger vibrato, I mean, it's insane. Yeah.
1: To try to cop that, to try to make your guitar sound like that. And it's really a lot of just mechanics of the muscle and the bones of your hand just finding the, the, the... you know, that fulcrum point off that first knuckle.
0: You're so right. I think the
1: best way to not fight the strings and to have the right amount of friction in your fingers. Yeah. It's really tricky to record that stuff and make it sound right because it's not natural, I think, to no. have a wider vibrato. That's something you really have yeah. to find. And, you know, listening to old Invey records where he would use the vibrato bar.
0: His, his hand vibrato is just so wide. I and...
1: know, it's crazy, right?
0: You know, Brendan, I have a theory that. Everybody has their own kind of natural voice. Like when you pick up a phone, you hear a guy's voice, you know who it is right away. Yeah. And I think that when you can vibrato and do that fulcrum point, then your voice start your individual voice starts to come out because I think everybody does it a little different.
1: But, I totally agree. You know, with just playing one note, you can tell if it's Brian May or you can tell <laughs> yeah. if it's Angus Young. Angus Young has such a oh, great vibrato. Aggressive. Or Morse yeah. such a personalized violin-like vibrato, oh, Yeah. fiddle-like sounding stuff. I mean, all these guys have a sound. The difference between a bedroom guitar player and being a guy that can go out and play in front of people is being honest with yourself as a guitar player. And part of that honesty is recording yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And evaluating yourself and saying, "Okay, I got some stuff to work on here. I got to yeah. work on my rhythm. I got to work on my timing. I got to work on on something like vibrato. How do I not sound like I'm strangling a cat?"
0: Right. You know? <laughs> and your string dampening. When you're vibratoing the G string, you don't yeah. want the D string to be ringing and ruining that tone. All that so stuff. True.
1: And you know what? It's really funny. And obviously, you know this, but. Watching a great guitar player just control his guitar. I, watching, you know who does that so well and it's so so clear
2: mm-hmm.
1: is Satriani. You yeah. can watch where he's carefully putting one part of his hand or his arm or wherever it is. Yeah. To make sure the rest of the guitar is not...
0: Yeah, making noise.
1: ...usurping or, or, uh. or overriding what's happening.
0: <laughs> and Jeff Beck, too, if you watch him... Oh, he, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I watched him do... Uh, Somewhere over the rainbow in Chicago at at a outdoor stadium like 50,000 people and yeah. a, he did it a cappella and i think he just played with his strat into a champ amp yeah. that is then reamplified with like 50,000 watts right <laughs> and yeah he's just using the whammy bar and bending notes up and down while he's dampening all the adjacent strings so only yeah. the harmonic
1: and then and then so much control over his volume
0: yeah. Up,
1: and and also the, the vibrato bar and all that stuff. I don't know why I'm not calling it a whammy bar. I'm calling it a thousand things, but the, it's a whammy bar.
0: Yeah, isn't it funny that I think it was a, a lady who was writing the catalog in Fender who accidentally wrote Tremlo Bar.
1: Right, right. Because and, it, that, and that's not what it is.
0: No, it's vibrato bar. <laughs>
1: It's so broad bar, and everyone calls it a tremolo bar. But yeah, it's funny how that stuck forever. Yeah. Um, I saw the Jeff Beck thing, the uh, Live at Ronnie Scott's Blu-ray, which if mm-hmm. anyone listening has not heard that, or seen that, rather, you must see it.
0: I don't think I've seen that one. So that's a DVD you can buy?
1: That's a Blu-ray you can buy, and that will change your life, and it'll make oh. you go... Because, you know, here we are, we're on a Boss podcast, we're going to be talking about pedals and all that. Yeah. And the pedals and the delays and the reverbs and all the cool things the choruses and those are like having a big spice rack that's the way I look at it yeah like sometimes is... you don't use every you don't use paprika in every single dish right you know but it's nice to know that it's there you know and sometimes you'll need cinnamon and sometimes you'll need cumin and things like that yeah but um that's what you have in front of you is a spice rack and you want to have all your options there
0: that's what Skunk Baxter called it yeah
1: I mean like you're not going to need a, a ring modulator on every moment of every song but if you but if you, uh, if you use it sparingly, like there's <laughs> a guy here in L.A. named Jamie Kime, who's a great guitar player, and I saw him just smartly use a ring modulator on two notes in the middle of a solo, and I thought, wow. That's wow. so punchy and so personalized. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. But going wow. back to Jeff Beck, here's yeah. a guy, plugged straight from his guitar into the amp. If anything good happens, it's his fault. If anything bad happens, it's his fault. Like You know, you can't yeah. put it on anything else. And that guy just... Has a very honest sound.
0: I heard him say, "This was really interesting." Uh, he likes a low, low volume because he can hear tuning better at a low volume.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I remember that.
1: Well, there is a there's a huge difference in in volumes, and I learned this in a really difficult way. You know, bedroom volume versus stage volume. Yeah, your guitar behaves differently, um, even if you have a, a tube amp. You know, and you have the master at, at like, somewhere between zero and one, and Mm -hmm. you play, and you don't want to wake your neighbors or family or anything like that. And you can play, and you get very used to that. But once you turn up an amplifier, it's...
0: All kinds of different things.
1: Like, the physics are different. It's almost like whispering versus screaming. Your voice sounds so different, you know? It takes on different characteristics. And I remember when I was a kid, this is my defining... Moment of like, do I go forth and become a, a guitar player, or an artist, or do I just decide to be an audience member for the rest of my life? I, I entered yeah. a guitar competition in Salinas, California, when I was I think 15 years old, and I've been playing guitar for about a year and a half,
2: uh-huh. and
1: I wasn't bad for a kid playing a year and a half. And I decided to enter this guitar competition. Um, and what I didn't realize is that I was going to be really loud, and and I'd never played. In a Marshall amp, like a big (laughs) halfback, and it was the most terrifying moment of my life. And I sucked. I was terrible. My knees were knocking. (laughs) The lactic acid was building up in my muscles. I was white knuckling the guitar, Mm -hmm. bending notes out of tune, Mm -hmm. chords out of tune, playing some three to five minute piece that was supposed to showcase my musicality and all that stuff. And I blew it. I blew it so badly. That the whole audience averted their eyes; they were so embarrassed for me.
0: <laughs> I think most guitar players have had a moment like that. But do you, do you think that? Do you think maybe Ingvae or Eddie Van Halen never had that moment? I think you
1: know what. <laughs> I, I, whether or not they had it, they don't talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> and I like to talk about that moment because it's it's about stage fright. It's about reckoning with the, the live, loud sound. It's about right. reckoning with the audience, and and ultimately yourself. Because the most important you can thing you can do, I think, when you're a young guitarist or in, or a, you know a middle aged guitarist or anything, is to be honest and evaluate yeah. yourself yeah on that night i I drove home with my friend who also blew it too. I had a good guitar friend who's uh-huh. still a good guitar friend of mine who also just sucked uh-huh. he blew it, he got nervous, and he, we both just failed, flopped, flopped sweatingly failed uh-huh. and um that night i you know I flipped open my guitar case and I looked at my guitar and I looked at my hands and I said what happened out there guys come on You can't let something like that happen and I and I and I made a decision because up to that guitar competition I'd been practicing harder and longer than I had ever in my very short guitar life I was waking up earlier I was staying up later and I was concentrating because I had a goal you know
2: uh-huh.
1: a real goal like I'm going to play guitar in front of people and I thought you know if I can keep up this schedule Because in those two weeks that I was practicing for this competition, I noticed major improvements Mm -hmm. by playing focus, like thinking through problems, using my brain, not just my hands, to solve problems on guitar. And that's an important thing, too, just there's a really good reason something doesn't sound good on guitar there's always a good logic there which is great about guitar you can always fix it something one hand is covering up something you know or something's muting something out or you're not getting there at the right time your two hands are not arriving right. i was so humiliated by that and I, I thought i cannot let this happen again i have got to correct this and i've got to, it's got to start with my brain and it's got to start with my hands at home and how do i how do i do that and i guess part one is keeping up a very honest work schedule, recording myself, listening to myself. And, uh, and sure, all that audience stuff and, and stage fright is going to keep on happening in some way until you slowly learn how to breathe and, and, and perform in front
0: of people. And you kind of have to perform regularly. Yeah. In researching you, I did hear you describe that story, not in as much depth, but afterwards you said that you looked at your hands and you said, look, guys, okay, we're not going to do that again. Yeah. And I thought Howard Roberts, he was the founder of GIT or Musicians Institute in Hollywood. Yeah, he said when you make a mistake, if you look at at the note that you're playing wrong and play it, and say no, and then right. play the correct note and make a mental note and say yes, this is the note. I, I I just think when you described that you looked at your guitar in your case and you said, "Okay, we're going to fix said, no, this." No, is what yeah. I
2: said. I said
1: no. Yeah, bad dog. <laughs> <laughs> you are a big. You are raising a puppy, and that's yeah. <laughs> is, your, is and you you do have to go through the yes and the no and oh it's really hard to do this but you have to you know
0: <laughs> that's an interesting way yeah you're raising a puppy that's your your guitar technique I think
1: everything in life is raising because like, I'm a I'm a dog lover and oh. I have a I have a new dog and uh you know when you when you have a puppy and mm-hmm. every like when you're doing a TV show there's a lot of bad dog no we can't go cool up on the couch that's not right <laughs> you have to say okay good <laughs> you're sitting down great and we get rewards yeah get that that's everything is raising a puppy I think and a guitar wow. is the same thing I think an interesting thing about young guitar playing or starting out, if you, if you work with, like, if you teach guitar, yeah, which uh, I know you do, mm-hmm. yeah. I, and I do too, to my friends, I have friends that are comedians who like to play guitar and, and I have to sit there and talk to them and I go, okay, um, all right, so to play this, you have to, here's, this is a power chord. you have to put. Here and yeah. that finger there, and they immediately think of eighteen reasons why they can't do that. <laughs> and one of them is my hand won't go that way. Yeah, my, this thing won't get there in time for that. I can't do this, and they put four hundred barriers up in their brain about why something can't happen. And right. and then and, and what you have to do is talk them into it. It's <laughs> like you yourself have to talk your hands into doing something that is unnatural. Because right. every time you and I, as grown-ups playing guitar, have to do something new, we still have to reckon with it. Right. It, I mean, it's slightly unnatural.
0: And it's and, really unnatural. Guitar playing is totally unnatural. It's uh, yeah. students will say this to me. That feels really unnatural. And I say, of course, it's kind of like if you always practiced upside down. Yeah. Holding the guitar right side up would feel totally unnatural. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Another thing to do is flip your guitar over and play it. You know, your right hand on the neck. Oh, yeah. My gosh. That takes you back to...
1: That, that really is starting guitar over. Yeah. <laughs> it's a foreign object. It makes no sense. Yeah. And you just have to think as hard as you can until you're exhausted. And that's what most of guitar playing, practicing should be, is, is thinking until you're exhausted, concentrating as hard as you can.
2: Yeah.
1: So the end of, of that little idea is to mm-hmm. say, okay, right, we have thought of a million reasons why this cannot work. Let's get at least two reasons why it can work. About you know how how can it work now that we know why it can't because the first thing we do with something new is 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 talk ourselves out of it and right. and it's a, it's it's a fun challenge to know that that's going to happen and to reason your way out of it.
0: All right, and also my opinion, I think two words: massive repetition.
1: Yeah, repetition with concentration too. Because yeah, you know that we can we can put our guitar on. We can play it, and we can also um, look at our phone four hundred thousand times, <laughs> and look at the computer about a million times. And uh, but shut all that stuff off and go. Okay, if I do fifteen minutes of the hardest concentrating I can do, yeah, then I'm, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna nail this piece, you know. And and that's what I do with guitar. I really think about. First of all, we're organic things. We're these amorphous blobs. These humans. We're like shapeshifters. We're skinny one day. We're fat yeah. the next. We're sore in our wrists sometimes, and we have to work that out. But every day is different, and your guitar playing is going to be different every single day. Even if you've learned all this stuff, like I've spent, I spent all the requisite hours learning all the Paul Gilbert sextuplet licks off the Oh my gosh, all that stuff. Yeah, and some days I got it, and some days I don't. And the days that I don't, I have to go back to zero and go, How did I get there? I've got to slow this thing down. I've got to get out the metronome. And I've got to realize that, oh, right, I don't have to white-knuckle the pick. Yeah. I can let it glide over the strings, and I can go much faster and more accurately. And make peace with the, uh, the stupid metronome. It's driving me crazy.
0: Yeah. I remember I was in an r- airport. i got to tell you the story. I'm yes. in an airport, sitting at the Manchu Walk, eating uh, stir-fried vegetables, and I was reading your piece in Guitar World magazine, and yeah. um, you describe you use jazz three picks and use the ones that are colored like, uh, you. I think you called it a toenail fungus or something. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what these picks look like. Yeah. It looks, yeah. It looks like somebody with an open-toed shoe <laughs> with just the worst, <laughs> like, fungal, um, kind of, uh, I don't know what it would be. But um, these picks yeah. by Dunlop that I love, I used to use Jazz 3s all the time, and I used them throughout, like, my college career, and I couldn't play guitar without one. Then yeah. one day, Dunlop said, hey, we're going to send you some picks, and I said, listen, I don't use any other picks. I'm I'm on I'm that guitar player that if I don't find a Jazz 3, I'm not playing guitar that day, you know?
0: I'm totally with you on that.
1: It's true, it's very personal, you need that tool, and it's also like Dumbo's Feather, whatever it is, we, we think we need it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, we can't play the gig without it. Then they send me these things called the Ultex Pick, right? and it's a really interesting, um, you realize the density of the plastic of the pick has a lot to do with your sound, you know, yeah. the difference between plucking a string with your fingers, versus the density of a pick from like the old yeah. Fender tortoiseshell things, mm-hmm. to. a to those really hard plastic ones. This one is a really interesting density that I really like the sound of the attack a lot of. And it has a sharpened point, but it was a bigger pick, and I had to kind of reckon with that, so I felt like I was playing with a huge, you know, flopping, eagle wing.
0: So isn't um, this the the same size as the Jazz 3, though?
1: No, not these ones, maybe I started out with some that were that size, but the ones that I use right now...
0: A little bigger, huh?
1: are a little bit bigger, almost the size of, like, what your standard fender is, but with a sharper point and with oh. different polymer.
0: You know what I what I like about those? Uh, I call them butterscotch, or, you know, they're kind they're of... Better
1: worth than toe fungus. Yeah. More <laughs> pleasing. That's a better way to tell.
0: <laughs> yeah, my wife calls them butterscotch, and, and they fall on the floor, and they're the same color as our carpet, and she scoops them up in the vacuum. Uh, I'm sure I lose, like at least one pick a week in the vacuum.
1: Yeah, but, all over my house, too. But, I used to be able to, you know what? I had a gig the other night, and it's really funny. I have, like, a bunch of them. They sent me a lot, and and there's a reserve of those picks in my house. You know, it's really important. Because, as you know, like we said, if we don't have those picks that we love to play with, yeah, I was playing guitar that night. did a show two nights ago at the Baked Potato here in Hollywood, which is yeah. a regular comedy and music show.
0: On Ventura Boulevard?
1: Yes, on doing... uh, Coenga. Yeah. Okay. And it's been there. It's as old as time, you know. It's yeah, been that's there. right. It's, it's, it's the coolest place in the world where guys like Larry Carlton would have residencies in the 70s and stuff. Okay. Yep. Healy Dan, stuff. Just so much cool musical history. And Alan Holdsworth will go and play there, and Scott Henderson goes and plays oh, there. Oh, yeah. Super heavy, amazing, super musicians. I call these guys super musicians. Mike Keneally plays there, who, um, who plays in Death Clock with me.
0: Yeah, he played with Frank Zappa and... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, and up and it too, right?
1: Dweezil, and now he's playing with Satriani. Oh, man. Vine, he's just, he's just a guy who was a hero of mine, and, and we ended up making friends.
0: You, you know, I have a thing to admit. I would lived in L.A. 20 years, and, you know, I played the Troubadour a million times, and the Whiskey, and Starwood, and... But I never went to the Baked Potato. I mean, and it wasn't far from my house. But yeah, Larry Carlton, you know, would be there, or Alan Holdsworth would be there. Super
1: heavy dudes, and you get to really, it's an intimate room.
0: So you've sat up there at the Baked Potato, you got all your stuff. I've
1: got my amp, and I've got my guitar, and I've got everything. and, uh, And we're about to do a quick sound check, and I realized I didn't have a pick. And I was like, wait a minute, guys, Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to drive home. Oh, no. Yeah, I realized I've always got one reserve pick in my wallet.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, me too.
1: And Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I pulled, I basically broke the glass and got the pick out so I could do the show. And I had to make sure I didn't drop the pick, didn't lose it in between sets and all that stuff because that was my only pick. Otherwise, I'm going Jeff
0: Beck style. Yeah. (laughs) With your thumb.
1: With my thumb, yeah, or with my fingers or whatever it is that I have to do.
0: One thing I notice about those. Whatever that is it ultra? Whatever that Ultex, material. Yeah. Ultex, yeah. Well, jazz threes always get a little rough on the edges. So if you're alternate picking fast, they can kind of catch. It can kind of catch on the strings. But the Ultex yeah. is is smoother than the Jazz Threes. And for me, alternate picking, you know, alternate picking is as soon as Ingve Malmsteen came out, it, it ruined my life. You know, because right. I had to figure out, okay, how am I going to do that? You know, right?
1: That's insane. It is. Insane. You know, I am such a guitar nerd. I I read his book,
0: Ingve's book,
1: and kind of glosses over. He's like, yeah. So I sat and I practiced, and anyway, I mastered the guitar and all that stuff. But anyway, I got to America, <laughs> and, and I
0: was like, whoa, 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 slow down. Yeah, and, what did you do? I want to know what you did. Exactly. I want. I need to know, yeah. you
1: know how this happened, and and his his
0: um what he was saying
1: and. It was that, oh, I just wanted to make sure there was no space in between notes. Was <laughs> what I, and I realized what he did was he just methodically worked out. In order to play at that, speed. you have to break everything down to what I call bullet time, which is a matrix term.
0: What did you call it, Brandon? Bullet time. Bullet t- time, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because
1: you have to break it down almost like if you're like just zooming into the molecular structure of something so you can see the space between everything and see how the whole universe of this one of these three notes work. Yeah. Almost like getting into that 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 initial Paul Gilbert exercise that he shows off of his first intense
0: rock. Like yeah.
1: Exactly. So it's a sextuplet like but it's it, but the exercise is changing strings so you go Yeah. You know,
0: and you do outside outside string crosses. Yes. So it would be like if you're playing fifth fret on the G string, uh, fifth fret, seventh fret, eighth fret on the G string, that would be down, up, down, and then you cross to the B string, play the fifth fret, and that would be up. Up, yeah. And so you're doing the Gilbert outside. Exactly. Picking. Number
1: two picks in the same direction, and you go up. It feels like it may be, again, an unnatural movement, but you make peace with it, and you go as slow as you can, and then. You have to add the most important part, which is some kind of a tempo to play that to. Because you can do that to your blue in the face, and all of a sudden you hear it You go, well, how do I even make something like that work? And you have to start counting out what sextuplets are.
0: One, two, three, one, two, three. Or the, um, the old metronome. Yeah. The
1: metronome, it's such a... The metronome is like... I don't know. The, the metronome is, is like. It, I, it, do you remember the movie Young Frankenstein?
0: Of course. That's one of my favorite movies. Oh it, my gosh. It's,
1: the, it's one of the best comedies in the world, and I yes. love it. But there's a moment that I think is very true to many moments of life where, um, Gene Wilder, as Dr. Frankenstein, of course, says to Terry Gar, after he has made the monster, given the monster life, and the monster is this scary.
0: And Terry Gar is his fiance.
1: Yes, or he's a he picks up I don't, I don't remember what the yeah. actual
0: something but, like um, that
1: he says to her listen I'm gonna go in this room and I'm going to reckon with the beast <laughs> and I'm going to claw and scream and do anything to get out of this room and you cannot open this door no matter what."
0: <laughs> I remember that
1: and he, and she says yes you got it
0: yeah Then he goes in the room
1: the room and the monster starts advancing towards him, and he goes to the door, and the door is locked, and he's pounding and screaming, he's, Let me out
2: <laughs> of
0: here! Let me out! Well, no, it. no, no, no.
1: You told me not to. He goes, I was lying! Let me And I think that's what most of, of practicing is. Let yeah. me out of here. I don't want to reckon with the beast, but right. I have to. And, and that is like sitting in a room with a metronome going, ugh, this is torturous. This is. is what makes life terrible. (laughs) I'm a a living human being, and I'm sitting here with a metronome in a room, and it's a beautiful day outside, and I have to do this, and if you do it, you get good, Yeah. turns out. Everyone says it, and it's always true. Yeah. Reckon with the beast. Don't let Terry Gar let you out of the room. Stay there.
0: That's really good.
1: Yeah, it's true. That's with recording. That's with writing a song. That's with completing a song. That's with recording a solo. That's with recording the horrible rhythm guitar parts and heavy metal, all.
0: Right, I heard you describe that recording rhythms in your documentary. Yeah. You hate it.
1: Well, the thing is, at that point, all creativity has been done. You've you've created the song, the fun part. There are two parts of of just being a a person that produces things. One Mm -hmm. is the fun like creative parts where you get to explore the subconscious and cool things and things occur to you and there's all these great ideas. And then you have to start becoming the producer of yourself where you have to edit your sections. You have to do this, that makes put the puzzle together. And then there's just the actual, just again, the things that make life terrible. Yeah. um, As a creative person, you may know this just the things that we're not good at. There's the administration of life.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Oh, I've got to pay yeah. this bill. I've got to remember to do this. I've got to take the dog to the cleaner. All this administration of life—the things that make life not fun—you
0: have to go to the store, yeah. And um, that's what the recording—those doubling those rhythm guitars, yeah. endlessly getting them absolutely perfect, the left and right tracks, just exactly.
1: And it's—and the, the thing is that it's ninety percent of the time you can be a really good guy in, at guitar, and you can have you—you pra- you can't have practiced your parts and belabored them and done everything. But to get them to really lock in, that's part of what makes metal sound heavy. That's what made Pantera sound great. That's what makes James Hetfield sound amazing. These doubled rhythm guitar parts. James Hetfield is is yeah. just like he locks in. His rhythm guitar playing is amazing. You know who else? I don't think it's enough credit is um, Dave Mustaine. Who is?
0: Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I interviewed Marty Friedman, and he described one of the. I think maybe "Euthanasia" or one of those albums. Yeah, he didn't play a single rhythm; he just come in and you know wax the leads on top. Yeah, David yeah. stain is just perfect. His rhythms are just.
1: You know terrible. what? I was same same exact kind of a thing. I was talking to uh, Kirk Hammett. I think he was doing voices on on Metalocalypse because we have a lot of people. Uh, Marty Freeman did voices on Metalocalypse as well.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, he was
1: great. He played a Japanese driving instructor. Oh my right. God. and he actually spoke <laughs> Japanese because I knew he could. And I've been a fan of his since Cacophony, since way back.
0: Oh, yeah, me too, yeah. yeah. Jason Becker and him.
1: Oh, no, amazing, amazing, yeah. amazing. I was the guy who, I would, in my little town in Salinas, California, I would go and special order all the shrapnel records. Oh, so I'd, yeah. I'd get the Richie Cots and stuff, I'd get the Cacophony stuff, so I'd come in this little tiny record store, and I'd be looking, did my records come in? And then go, yep, you got a Cacophony. And I'm like, yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And go and listen to the tape in my car. Yeah. Uh, but, um... I was talking to Kirk Hammett from Metallica, uh-huh. and uh, and I was just trying to like I think I was in the middle of finishing up rhythm guitars on maybe the second Death Clock record. Uh-huh. So I was like, oh man, I hate this. Oh, how do you do that? How do you guys? How do you guys? What's your What's your process of recording uh-huh. rhythm guitars? Because it sucks. And he just shrugged and goes, "Why would I record any rhythm guitars? I'm with I'm I'm in a band with the best rhythm guitarist <laughs> live.
2: Head and I was them. like, yeah. "You're
1: right, this guys. Just got amazing time." And there's something to be said for the way, if you watch James Hetfield play rhythm guitar, This is something I noticed too, is that he uh, he keeps his guitar very low. And we know as guitarists that you it's, can play like, you know, first position guitar when your strap is really low. Yeah. Um, and yeah. But you cannot get past like the eighth to ninth fret. Your hand just curls under and the physics are just all wrong.
0: Yeah. Your, your wrist can't really get into the bar shape without really doing... A contortion.
1: You would have to be a, con- a contortionist. It's yeah. almost like, you know, violin players. They make them start at four years old because you have to contort the left part of your body and the bones and muscles grow differently over a new landscape of your twisted hand. I know. <laughs> your hand is facing your face and that's why they, have, they make kids just hold a violin for the first two years.
0: Yeah. My daughter plays violin and viola and, you know, I've tried it a bunch of she started when she was pretty young, but I never really thought about that. Yeah, it's just really insane on your neck, you know? It,
1: yeah, and you have to actually let your body grow in a different way. And right. I, I, well, so I can't I can't play guitar that low. but when I play rhythm guitar, I, I've noticed that I can I can lower my strap probably about five inches, and yeah. my right arm and the shoulder muscle and the deltoid and all that stuff, I can let that kind of dangle uh-huh. straight and let the guitar kind of... Like, basically, if you stand up straight and you you let your right hand just flop down where it is, where your thumb is and where your finger is, your thumb and forefinger. that's a great place to have your your area of picking.
0: Right, I'm doing that right now. I'm just hanging my arm down and You'll twisting notice, my wrist. like
1: a quick picking pr- thing where you just move your wrist just a little bit. It's yeah. a lot easier than when you have your arm up and your Because when your arm is up in that right angle that we are kind of familiar with in guitar playing, with a a very comfortable...
0: Like when you're sitting down.
1: Yeah, when you're sitting down. uh, Yeah, you'll notice that you're... If you just touch the muscle in your shoulder, you'll notice that it's already flexed. So you're already putting some kind of pressure on that area, and it's already uh, a tense area. So Mm -hmm. when you have your arm straight down, it's just the wrist. You're no longer bothering your shoulder anymore.
0: Well, and and that's what I noticed about back when Ingve hit the scene. I had a video of him, and he's just twisting his wrist just the tiniest little bit. Yeah. And the notes are like, you know, like Paul well, Gilbert I mean, des- described, like playing cards inside uh, bicycle spokes.
1: Oh no, I remember that description. That I was love that the Practicing Musician magazine, and I that always <laughs> stuck with me. Paul Gilbert said. Yeah. Popsicle stick and bicycle spokes or something yeah. <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: something like that. Yeah. Hey, Brandon, I want to ask you about studio gear to start off with. And yeah. But before I do that, I want to ask in that documentary about the making of a Death Clock album, is that studio your studio?
1: There are two different studios, I think, that we showed. Most of it was um, Ulrich Wilde. Studio and Ulrich Wilde is a
0: uh, uh, he co-produces not only your solo album but your yeah yeah your Death, Death Clock, Clock album. Stuff.
1: I saw him a long time ago and basically, you know, my understanding of, of recording was pretty simple and I, it's actually a pretty good philosophy and, I, and it was later kind of it, it became a stronger philosophy and uh, as I continued, which is basically the the philosophy, the ultimate recording philosophy is try to write something cool and mm-hmm. then try to play it right. That's the ultimate recording philosophy. (laughs) Everything else is basically, you know, you've got a spice rack. You've got a thousand spice racks that can keep on blooming into other spice racks that you can use. But try to write something cool and try to play it right. Right. And then you're going to win. Your record's going to sound cool.
0: So is that your studio with the uh, Pro Tools console where the knobs kind of look like mushrooms?
1: Yes, that is the um, the D command, which is like a, a big kind of mixing board. Yeah. And uh, what I have is I have the ultimate studio for a guy like me, uh-huh. who's a guy that does vocals and does voiceover and cartoons and also records guitar amp. I started out with all the leads of the first record. did that from my home apartment at the time. I had a one-bedroom, and then I thought, you know, if I ever get a place, a new place where I can build a studio, I'm going to build the ultimate guitar studio.
0: I noticed some Neve mic pre's. Yeah,
1: I have the BEA audio ones, like the Neve strips, which were recommended to me by both Satriani and Steve Vai.
0: Brent Averill Enterprises. Yeah. Yeah, he he was in Sherman Oaks at his house. He would cannibalize old Neve consoles and build them into modules. Mm -hmm. I bought a couple of those. Do you use those for guitars?
1: I do use them for guitars. They're
0: so good.
1: What What happened was, my idea for the studio was, I want to be able to turn up guitars really loud. Yeah, two amps to be able to open up and sing as much as they can at at, at the right volume. It's like I want to be able to have things up like between three to five and have my guitars loud. So the next part was, how do what do I do for microphones and what do I do for microphone preamps? So the coolest thing about Metallica. Is that I've made? I made this decision that I was going to cast people who were kind of my musical heroes and give them an opportunity to be funny because all these people, as you've noticed probably, have good senses of humor in.
0: Oh yeah.
1: In, in, in <laughs> music, there, there are a lot of funny people out there. who really like comedy a lot, and there's a lot of crossover between music and comedy.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, even guys from like the band Cannibal Corpse have really good senses of humor, <laughs> and these Norwegian black metal bands yeah. like to laugh. Believe it or not. <laughs> Yeah. And I got to meet Joe Satriani and Steve Vai at a guitar player magazine event once, wow. and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, you guys have to come and do this show. And basically what I would do is I would mm-hmm. pay them to do voices, but what I'm really doing is paying them to hang out with me, like <laughs> so talk to them about guitar questions, yeah. you know, which is all I really want to do, just being a guitar nerd. I want to ask them how and why and what do you do and how do you solve this and what, what goes on.
0: Yeah, that must you be know, really cool.
1: It is really cool. So both Satriani and Vi, if I have a guitar question and I really want a really great answer, I'll ask them. And I asked them both, and I went over to Steve Vi's house. Mm-hmm. I took my iPhone, and he, he was recording at the time, and uh, he played me a demo of something. that would be his most recent record, which was just so cool to hear. There's It's no frills. He's just playing really well. When you listen to it in the monitors, and there's no nothing, just a really good... You know, it's the amp I have, his gem or whatever it is, and he's just playing really well and writing really creative, awesome stuff and doubling yeah. it, like the leads, like a, you know, yeah. in forty second just non-repeating line. That just oh my it,
0: gosh, yeah.
1: Um, and so I said, okay, can you walk me from the amp all the way to the board? What do we have? And he said, okay. We walked over, and it was like a 2x12 Legacy And he was using distortion.
0: Okay. Did he have a a DS-1?
1: Um, I think at that time, he was just using the same thing. And I I saw his modded DS-1 because he opened up his pedal, and I knew that he had those modded DS-1s. Uh And that's how I learned about the DS-1 was from Satriani and Vi. Yeah. That I heard about these modded DS-1s, so I immediately went and bought one. And without it being modded, the D S one is a really great sounding pedal, yeah. I'm such a guitar nerd. I'm I'm the guy who like subscribes to all the demo channels and all that stuff, like <laughs> Pete Thorne's demos. Really... Yeah,
0: oh Pete Thorns are great. Oh yeah, my god. Yeah, he's such a nerd. He is.
1: In, in the in the best possible way where and That's
0: that's the name of his uh most recent solo album, Guitar Nerd.
1: Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He is really great. And he's a great player and he yeah. really does these amazing demos that are so elaborate? Well, he'll write a new piece of music just to showcase, right? A demo, and I saw the the new Boss DS1X.
0: Oh yeah! Oh my gosh! I've got one of those, and, and Brandon, oh It yeah. <laughs> I actually have been using my. I have a Saldano amp. Oh cool! I mean, with the amp set clean and the dist- just the, all the distortion come from the DS1X. Yeah, I think it's better than cranking the amp
1: it's it's, a, it's amazing there's something like um it's got the original tonality of the ds1
0: it does but
1: there's something that just sizzles in a really fantastic way yeah. and it's yeah. got a, it's got extra game it but does it, it yeah. feels like i don't know how much it sounds like the modded ds1s but i would think that i mean it, it is a modded ds1 in one way or another yeah. but i don't know if it's the original sound but it sounds to me like that
2: sound
0: yeah, well, it's, you know, they say what it is is um, they have this multidimensional processing where it's actually digital and it treats soft notes different than loud notes and high notes different than low notes. But actually, not thinking about the digital, just plugging in, it's really a organic. Oh, yeah, know.
1: I would never know that's a digital pedal. It, it yeah. feels like it's got so much yeah personality and dynamic range yeah. to it.
0: Anyway, you were talking about Steve Vai and you you he was... Yeah. He was taking you his-
1: everywhere, and so basically, I found that there was there was kind of an industry standard between, and, and it kind of matched up between Steve Vai and Satriani. They both had a similar kind of thing. So I, I took pictures of, of like three different angles of his microphones on the speakers.
0: That's a and good idea. And what he
1: had was an SM57, which okay. it turns out is the cheap and still the best sounding thing.
0: That's what I use into those Neve mic pre's, sm 57 and a Neve, and then he had. Um,
1: uh, 421.
0: Yeah, uh, 421.
1: Sennheiser. Sennheiser.
0: Yeah, it's um, actually what I heard is the the diaphragms on the 421 are actually not facing directly out. Right. It's kind of a weird design, so it can take really high SPLs.
1: Right. Which I don't know what the SPL means, but I said right. <laughs> <what it>
0: <laughs> Sound it's... pressure levels, volume.
1: <laughs> okay, so it takes very high volumes. Okay. Yeah. Well, and so okay, so he had these two, and they were lined parallel. Kind of like if you're looking, if you're looking straight down at the amp, you see two mics pointed straight, kind of like just just off the cone just uh-huh. a little bit, but they're both tilted. Like if you were to take them both with one hand and tilt them to the left just a little bit,
0: uh-huh. like this, slightly off axis,
1: next to each other, parallel. Uh-huh. And I so I took like a hundred pictures of that, and then I basically just followed those cables all the way into his studio, and I saw that he had the fifty-seven into that the B.
0: Yeah, Brent Avril, uh huh. Yeah, Neve, yeah.
1: But it, it was basically that thing, and then the other one was into um, an API.
0: Yeah, he's an API guy.
1: Yeah, well,
0: I think his console, his analog console, is an API, isn't it?
1: I think, yeah, I think that that's. I mm-hmm. think he just had one rebuilt or something mm-hmm. when I was there. So yeah, it was, it was APIs everywhere, mm-hmm. and APIs are. I mean, I guess. What's the sound? How would you describe that? I well,
0: API and Neve are the, you know, they're they're kind of the early mixing consoles that they use class A point-to-point soldering and and old transformers and yeah, the API API and the Neve are both really great sounding mic preamps.
1: They really are, and I think someone said that that's like the ACDC sound or something like that. There, there's there's yeah. something really warm about it. Yeah. And then I asked Satriani. I said, "What do you use?" And he he actually sent me a video of his mic prees when he was recording a Chickenfoot record. And, really? And it was it was the coolest video to just show up in my inbox. <laughs> he said, "So Brendan, here's what I have. I have these BAE audios, and then I have this, and then API, and and he's like sent me a note from Andy Johns, who was
0: Andy Johns, an engineer, yeah."
1: Yeah, and just like a legendary who did Zeppelin and everything. And oh, Andy's. no kidding. Well, yeah. What I like to do is I like to put the 421 on the ground. For some reason, there's more of a bass response down there. Don't ask me. Maybe it's in my mind, but he did that, and he just told me. It was the same. Basically, it was a very similar um, thing. You get kind of a punchier side, and you get a warmer, lower side. You blend them.
0: Back to your recording style, Brandon. I noticed in your the making of a Death Clock album documentary that you record the drums first. So do you record a scratch guitar track and then the drummer plays with a click, too? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, that, and that's pretty classic, too. The thing is, usually we're trying to beat the clock. On the TV show... Yeah. ...and uh, if you have a record that you've got a release date on. But um, a year ago, I did a, a full one-hour-long rock opera... And um, with a 50-piece orchestra. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and you've got to check this out. It's called the Doomstar Requiem, in it, and you can get it on my website, brendansmall.com. But it's got um, a lot of guitar playing, a lot of, like, you know, Wagnerian brass. Uh-huh. That's a record in a place with real 50-piece orchestra. And this whole thing, I had to demo out. I had to demo the whole thing out, and I started cleaning up all the guitars because I knew I'd have... To three days with with Gene Hoagland, our drummer, and he'd have to record to my drums, but we're all graded out, so we're totally to, the whole thing is completely um, recorded to a click track, so he has uh-huh. to, and his time is great, so he just has to play with the click track. But um, he kind of has to match my fills, rather than me kind of doing cool stuff over his but yeah, so we did everything backwards, and you can check that out. There's a documentary of that, too, for the making of that. And we had, you know, people like Jack Black and Mark Hamill, who is, you know, Luke Skywalker.
0: Singing. Whoa, that's pretty cool. He's going to be in the new Star Wars movie they I making.
1: know, I know. Can't wait. It's amazing.
0: My wife and I bought some Disney stock just because that movie's coming up.
1: Yeah, it's going to be gigantic. It was probably a really smart move. Yeah. I got it. I saw a picture of uh, of Mark, you know, because he does voiceover on. He's in every episode of Metal Oculus.
0: So which which guy does Mark Hamill um, do the voice for?
1: Well, there's this kind of kind of Illuminati tribunal kind of a uh, thing that watches the band.
0: Oh wow!
1: Have this secret story, and uh, so they kind of they kind of help our show. You know, when, when, uh, we have quarter hour episodes with the exposition, and, uh-huh. and there's a guy that says, "Well, it appears as if Death Clock is selling shoes or something like that," <laughs> and uh, that's Mark Hamill. Wow, and then you'll hear Malcolm McDowell, and he sounds like you know just the evil, cold version of of Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell, the love from Clockwork Orange. And
0: I saw you uh, recorded
1: Werner Herzog. Herzog. Yes.
0: Oh my gosh! How about that? Yeah,
1: isn't that the coolest thing in the world? Was
0: that is that for the intro of your live show?
1: There is, yeah. That, I think what you saw was, yeah, the intro for the for the live show that we did. But he's also a character in season four.
0: He's got such an amazing, scary German accent.
1: (laughs) I know he's Austrian. Yeah, he's got that uh, amazing Austrian kind of. Oh,
0: Austrian! Yeah,
1: yeah. You can hear. uh, So even when I was writing the script, I wanted to find words that sounded good in his voice. Yeah. You know, we were we were all doing impressions of him in the room, trying to figure out how this would sound when he came and recorded. So words like foreboding, foreboding, like things like that. (laughs) Yeah. But he was great. Just the coolest guy in the world. I had his character do a lot of singing in this rock opera, but I, I didn't want to change my melody, so I did an impression of him in the rock opera. So I just found that gravelly lower part of my voice and that breathier part to kind of do my. Again, we're talking about impressions. Yeah. Impressions. Impressions of other people. And, and
0: that's what you do, and that's part of your job—is doing all these voices and.
1: Yeah. I did a Werner Herzog, my version of his character in the Doomstar Requiem Deathrock uh, rock opera. So you'll hear that he's probably one of the first voices you'll hear on the whole thing after this big kind of Jesus Christ superstar um overture.
0: I'm going to check that out
1: Born for sure. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah.
1: And then the, you know what? The other coolest thing is like I don't think anyone's gotten me beat but I got to do a 2 minute guitar solo on a on a TV show.
0: 2 uh-huh.
2: minutes
1: worth of non-stop guitar.
0: Wow. That's that's so, got to be a record. He, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you can you can check it out on iTunes, but you can hear the whole, the album, where you hear, like, uh, basically this flashback of when the rhythm guitar player, Toki Wartooth, uh-huh. gets into the band, and he has to...
0: I saw that, and then it becomes a duel between Toki and... Yes,
1: that's part of the rock opera. You know, I put it out a year ago, and we, we tour very infrequently, just because I'm usually working on a TV show, or I'm right. doing stand-up, or I'm doing whatever, and it's, you know, it costs a lot of money to get this thing up and running. Yeah. But we just did a show which is kind of the highlight of my year, where we got to close out this thing called Festival Supreme, which is um, Tenacious D's big comedy and music festival. And it's like, you know, 20,000 people, and they had people like, um, I mean, we got to be on a bill with Janine Garofalo, Norm MacDonald, Zach Galifianakis, and um, <laughs> Cheech and Chong. Wow. And we got to close out the whole night, and we got to do all that stuff live. And oh, that's really so cool. To do it, but play the duel live between me and Mike Keneally.
0: And, and is the video on the screen behind you? Yeah,
1: what we have is we have this gigantic movie theater-sized screen behind us, and there's a click track running to Gene Hoagland, the drummer's headset, and he's counting us in. So the whole show is kind of living or dying by the strength of Gene Hoagland's time. <laughs> the guy just like he is. Unflappable. He is just a powerhouse. What happens is it's a very cool thing where everything is matching up on stage right. with what's happening visually. And we get this really cool thing where people are just kind of mesmerized.
0: You know, I heard you describe your live band, the Death Clock live band with Michael and uh, Brian. He's the bass player.
1: Yeah, Brian May, who's now playing with Guthrie Govan.
0: Oh, wow. And then your drummer, Jean And you said they make you look so good. So good that you could actually even drop your guitar and you still look good. And you, yeah, sit- I
1: would still look like <laughs> cool as the best guitar player in the world. I could drop my, and I have dropped my guitar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, um, are there any favorite boss pedals that you have? Yes
1: yes i've been messing around with a lot of stuff you know as you know as a guitar player we've got the spice rack in front of us so we're always swapping something out and making room because there's only so much room right um in the place but I, I have to say and i recommend highly um the the new ds1x is really cool and i think the od1x is really cool too which is the overdrivers the new overdrivers
0: oh me too yeah that
1: is a really cool sound and you can use it on its own or you can put it in front of a dirty amp and i think that's really cool um, a staple, I think, in everyone's pedal board is the the tuner.
0: The TU. It, well, now it's a TU three.
1: Okay. And then I've been um, playing around with the the uh, the
0: harmonist. Oh yeah, the PS six,
1: which is a smart harmonizer. Yeah. And an octave pedal and. It's a, like a whammy pedal-y kind of a thing too. Yeah,
0: you can have it do Yeah, you can do
1: like cool like dive bomb-y things uh-huh. and like really cool stuff. If you have like you know a fixed bridge and you never get to make any of those sounds, you can make cool sounds with it. So it's got a lot of stuff and it sounds really really clean. And yep. it, it, the octave pedal on that, I use that a lot because it's just a really solid, really good tracking on it too.
0: Uh, on the PS five.
1: Or the PS6 is that what it is?
0: PS6, yeah. Do you know what? If I want to do a bass sound and not use a guitar synthesizer or anything like that, I think the PS6 dialed down an octave is the best yeah. way to do it.
1: That's yeah. what I. That's what I have it set to.
0: Yeah, it's a great octaver, and it yeah, it tracks your notes really well.
1: Yes, it really does. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so those are those are cool things, and those are often on my pedal board. At any given mm-hmm. moment. And then um, the other thing that I think is really cool is the, uh, the Slicer.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> that thing is so cool. And there's so many different things. And I'm now... That's one of those things that it's really cool to get an expression pedal hooked up to.
0: And do you use the expression pedal to change the speed?
1: Speed and slow down. So if you're playing with a band, I think you can adjust your tempo a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: What I've used it for is recording and there's a, gosh, I think it's, is it a MIDI input? Some type of input for synchronizing. I use Digital Performer, and if you oh. take a MIDI out, then it will synchronize.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Yeah, it will synchronize to whatever clock you've got.
1: It, you know, yeah. I, I think these, these pedals do so much. They do so much cool stuff, and they've thought about stuff that I will never be able to think about, but that is really cool. And I, the way I use almost my guitar, my pedals, Pro Tools... Uh-huh. All the boss stuff. I use about. I use it like I use my brain. I use about four percent of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I try to. Use, I try to squeeze the best four percent I can because that's all I can mentally handle, and that is the coolest way to. You know what? Because the cool thing is that all these pedals, when you plug them in, when you put everything at zero, you're going to get something really cool. Like right down the line at twelve o'clock.
0: You've you right at twelve o'clock. That's that's what I do too. If I have a boss pedal and I want to see what it does, every every knob straight at twelve o'clock, and then. Then go from there. I want
1: to say one other thing. First of all, for anyone that's listening to this thing right now, I don't I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before, but there are so many other cool podcasts that are so informative about really cool topics that I don't think we get to hear about. I listened to you talk to Jude Gold, yeah, uh, who's a buddy of mine, and I just saw him the other night. But what a cool guy. <laughs> you guys got into a really interesting conversation about tuning the B-string. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I just want people I just want people to know that you should go back, you should if you're a guitar nerd like me, go through the whole library and listen to all this stuff because um, people spend all this time in cars and you may as well learn a couple of cool things about guitars and get it and get inspired. Yeah. Which is what I do with this podcast. And yeah. that Jude Gold talk about tuning the B string is just it's an unspoken thing that we've all we've all experienced.
0: Yeah, it, Every if, day. For me, I constantly am looking at a tuner while I'm recording, you always have to keep questioning. And with the amount that you record...
1: It's funny, we talk about that a little bit in that that creative life thing too, which is basically, when I tune low, when I tune to C standard, which is a lot of the death clock stuff.
0: Right, right. um, Two full steps down. And Mm
1: -hmm. if you hit a string a little bit harder than you normally play it...
0: It'll go sharp.
1: Yeah, it'll go sharp. It goes sharp all the time. Yeah. And then if you play, you know, I play on like what probably like 13s to 56 is when I'm tuned down low.
2: Oh, really? And, yeah.
1: um, and I use those really strong chords on strings. I have a really powerful chord, and they'll stay in tune. But mm-hmm. um, your guitar will start going sharp. It'll start creeping. It'll start tuning itself up. Crazy mm-hmm. phenomenon. But, um, but the, the best thing you can do is just, when in doubt, listen to the guitar. Does that sound in tune to you? You know?
0: Yeah, listen and constantly check your Boss TU-3 tuner.
1: Absolutely. One other thing I wanted to say, too, is, um, I don't think people know this, but I saw on your on your bio, uh-huh. I don't know if all the interviewees read your bio before, but uh-huh. you were the guy who, you taught the person to play guitar properly in Back to the Future.
0: Yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I...
1: I saw Michael J. Fox and previously Eric Stoltz. Yeah. Everyone knows that Eric Stoltz was amazing. Uh,
0: that, was, that was an interesting gig.
1: <laughs> but there was, yeah. there was accurate guitar playing. See, I asked that question, and I think that's interesting because on Metalocalypse... The guitar playing's accurate. It is, which is I don't think anyone's ever going to do. And I thought this is my only shot. How often?
0: That's that's why the show was so amazing. That when I first discovered it, I had to actually show my wife because here it's a cartoon, but you don't expect to have that quality of guitar, you know, guitarmanship.
2: Yeah,
1: and then just hopefully some musical authenticity.
0: Yeah. Um, and that
1: that doesn't always show up in movies. And in Back to the Future, his guitar playing yeah. was really cool. He's, like, tapping with his pick for a little while. Yeah.
0: Well, this is so awesome. Any last words about about Boss?
1: I've got nothing but good stuff to say. And like I said, the best thing you can do as a, as a guy who's playing guitar is sit with these things for a long time you gotta you gotta buy them you gotta take them home and you gotta you gotta play with them mm-hmm. you, you, what you want is uh you want cool options to to personalize your sound and you can really do that with these pedals i love them i'm such a nerd i want them all on on a gigantic pedal board that's 15 feet wide that I yeah. can step on all the time <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, it, that doesn't always happen because yeah. you have to play on a small stage sometimes
0: Well, Brendan, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I think what you're doing with Metalocalypse and Death Clock, it's a real service to us guitar guys.
1: Oh, that's awesome, man. I appreciate
0: it. Rock on, dude. Yeah, you too. Okay, man. I'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Okay, Brendan. Thanks again. bye. Super thanks to Brendan. I think there is a lot of nuggets of guitar information in this podcast. I'd also like to thank you for using cool boss gear, compact pedals, multi effects, metronomes, drum machines, you name it. Remember, you can always learn about boss gear at bossus.com. Paul Hansen saying, see you later.